Our passion didn't start with the mouth. It started with people, with the well-being of the profession. And if you're like me, maybe a little bit of your nerdiness in all things tech too. We all want to love what we do, but the truth is burnout, people problems, and glass ceilings can keep us from doing what we set out to do. So let's get back to the heart of connection. Welcome to the Dental Handoff. This show is about passing you the knowledge, the habits, the systems, and the strategies to lead your teams, lean on the tech, and listen to your gut while you take care of teeth. And let's get honest, the overall health of our communities. Let's stop using the wrong end of the toothbrush, y'all. My name is Dr. Kelly Tanner. Oh, and uniquely, I'm a dental hygienist, too. You can consider me a guru in the dental and leadership industry. With over three decades of experience, my goal is to take you to the next level by empowering growth, perspective, and confidence. By identifying the gaps, recognizing the plaque, and extracting the truth with other experts in the field. I'll share their stories, empower you to own yours, and elevate your passion in the process. So have a seat in the chair, put on your bib, and let's get to work. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to The Dental Handoff. I'm Dr. Kelly Tanner, RDH. Today I have with me, if you don't know him, Dr. Chris Phelps, and he is a mastermind at all things dental, all things dental practices. He's got a great story to share with us today. Chris, welcome to The Dental Handoff. So happy you're here with us. Awesome. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, I, I met Chris probably a few, I guess it's been, what, six months ago. I don't know where time goes, but about six months ago through people that, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but it's stuff like, you've got to meet, you've got to meet this person. You've got to meet this person. You've got to connect. And he was sort of experiencing the same thing. And that's when you know that it's sort of like that divine like drop of that synergy of what people are truly in it for and people are recognizing those those uh, synergies between you. So Dr. Phelps and I share that synergy and that's how we got linked up. And I, you know, you guys I always start with Dr. Phelps, tell us about your story. Tell us about how you got started in dentistry and tell us about your why. You know, it's kind of an interesting story in the sense of uh you know, I was in the seventh grade, so let's flashback. So, you know, just a few years ago, seventh grade, and uh, a friend of mine, uh, his mother had somehow found out about a future dentist of America club in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, which is where I grew up. And she was tired of him sitting around in the house with me playing video games all the time. So she decided to sign him up for this extracurricular activity just to get out of the house and do something. And he looks over at me one day, he goes, hey, my mom signed me up for this dentist thing. Uh, we're going to some dental office to hear a presentation. I don't know. Do you want to go with me? And I was like, yeah, sure. What am I doing? Let's go check it out. <laughs> and so we go to this guy's office and it's a bunch of middle school age kids. Uh, the dentist's son was our age and was the president of the club. So I now know that he was just setting, going ahead and uh, starting to stack up his uh, resume uh, for, for college <laughs> uh, early on, which I thought looking back is kind of a smart thing. And but he gave us like a, a slideshow uh, pr presentation about how he helps patients and showed us smiles before and afters. And he kind of showed us his extraction instruments and around his office. And I don't know, there was something, especially when I saw like the surgical instruments and that he had. And they, they were all like brand new, like and that's where they were all like maybe right out of the box because the light was right on them sitting over this table and they were all shiny. 
you know, kind of like a moth to a flame. I was just attracted to it. Like, Ooh, what's this? He's like, well, this is what I use to take teeth out or for the, the root breaks. I do this, or we have these cool things called dental implants. And back then they were, they were blade implants. So he showed me a blade implant. looks like an ice skate. And I'm thinking, wow, you get to do that. And he's like, yeah. And I just had this overpowering feeling in that moment. I was like, you know what? This is what I'm going to do when I grow up right here. And I kind of went home and told my mom, I was like, mom, guess what? I figured out what I'm going to do when I grow up. And she goes, okay, buddy, sure, sure. You know, because the pre week before it was policeman, week before it was astronaut, whatever. <laughs> but it never left me. And that was just my, I made that commitment then and that's what I was going to do. And so that's what I turned my focus towards. Uh, there was no other option. It was always going to be dentistry, one way, shape or form. And flash forward now, uh, 19 years out of dental school, graduating in 2003, still passion. Are you still doing blade implants? I am not doing <laughs> I have, I've taken uh, several of them out uh, that fractured, which is kind of interesting, but yeah, those are long gone. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's funny. Cause when I used to teach about implants, it's like, here's the evolution of implants. And I remember speaking about those, but they worked at the time. That's, that's what we had. They did. Yeah. Yeah. Don't knock it till you try it. Right. And, and that's, that's right. Option. What are you going to do? <laughs> so what a, what a cool story. So you knew then, was it about the, was it about the difference you felt in the kind of like inside of you that you felt like that you could make in people's lives? Is that what that attraction was for you? What, what do you think that was? Yeah. You know, I don't know. It was just, I could just feel it to my core. Like, you know, you listen to your gut, right? Is it something few people tend to do anymore? Our, our, we've been taught certain ways and we've, we've been taught to ignore our gut in many situations, but a lot of times our instincts are right and they're correct and we shouldn't ignore them. And I feel like it was just that instinctual. Yeah, this is your, this is your future, man. This is your destiny. So when, when destiny speaks, some, sometimes you need to listen. <laughs> exactly. Right. I tell people that all the time and I don't know about you, but as I've gotten older, it's that gut feeling that, you know, logic can try to, Logic can try to uh, overpower mm -hmm. whatever it is that you're feeling. You're trying to make sense of it, but truly it's in your gut what the right answer is and what that feeling and what you're calling is and that purpose. Definitely. You know, it's kind of funny. I do this exercise with people where uh, I've got, uh, it's got the names of different colors uh, from left to right, top to bottom on a screen. And I have people read the names of the colors as fast as they can. Uh, and they can get through it fairly quickly when they're reading. But the, the color of each colored named color is different, if that makes sense. So the word may say red, but the color is yellow. Wild. Yeah, the word may say blue, but the color is pink. Okay. Uh, so then I ask them to read the color from left to right, top to bottom of each thing as fast as they can. And people, it's like painstaking to get through it. <laughs> right. And the reason is because our instincts want to say the color, what actual the color is. But we've been taught to read the word. Uh, That's why we then we can say the color. You know, it's kind of a cool exercise that wake people up to this idea of what we've been taught versus what our instincts are saying. Oh, that's powerful. And then too, Chris, I know that you and I've talked about this uh, recently as well about your certification with learning assessments. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm certified in uh, two things, uh, something one thought the Colby assessment, K-O-L-B-E. And then I'm a Childini Method Certified Trainer. So it's a certification in the science of influence and uh, ethical persuasion. And, and that was kind of an interesting point with Colby uh, when I was doing my certification training uh, almost 15 years ago now. And I was sitting with Kathy Colby, the founder of this concept. And, you know, Colby, for those of you who don't know it, is kind of like this idea of it's not your IQ that it's measuring like a, 
an SAT score or, you know, a dental board exam, that kind of thing. It's not your personality that it's measuring per se. Uh, so it's not like a disc. It's not a Myers-Briggs. Kathy kind of figured out there's this third part of the mind that we, we need to focus on and can actually create an assessment test around. And it's really about what kind of car are you? You know, like how, when you go to take action, whether your IQ or your personality is at the wheel, you know, what kind of car is it? Not necessarily who's driving, but what are you going to do and what are you not going to do over the long run? And it's this idea of, you know, if you're a Ferrari and that's how you're built and your job, task and duties, have you driving on a highway? Well, then you're in good shape. Okay, As long as you got enough gas and no cops, you could just go and go and go because it was kind of built for that. But if you're a Ferrari and your job, task and duties forces you to drive off road, doesn't mean you can't do it. You know how to do it. You've been taught. You've been trained. Doesn't mean you don't want to do it from a personality standpoint. Maybe you're motivated to do it. You you want to do this thing. Okay. Do something different. Let's do something dangerous. Let's go off-road. But if you're not built to do it, we all know the longer that Ferrari is off-road, it's going to break. It's going to crash, right? It's going to break down. It's just not sustainable for the long run. So finding this measurement and, and kind of describing human behavior, and that's kind of one of my one of my passions, is why people do what they do uh, and what's what's really driving their decisions behind that. Because uh, most of the time, it's not logical thought or ration, <laughs> rationale. Uh, so it's these other things that really got me interested. And when I was doing my training with Kathy, and I said, hey, Kathy, I'm Chris, I'm a dentist. And she just looked at my four little numbers that I, from this assessment test I took. And she said, hey, Chris, I'll stop you right there. You're not a dentist. And I was like, mm, pretty sure I'm a dentist. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I remember those four years of dental school, and they, they kind of sucked. They were kind of tough. And she goes, no, no, what I mean is, is, and what your numbers tell me, is that you're an entrepreneur. That's how you're built. Okay. Who's happened to be using dentistry as his vehicle. Mm. And I was like, Ooh, dang, that is deep because now I had this conflict based on what she's saying. She was like, all right, my passion, my motivation, my personality is always to want to be a dentist, right? Since seventh grade. Right. But she's saying I'm built to be an entrepreneur, to, to build multiple businesses, do other things. And at the time I had four dental offices that I'd built up. So I guess by definition, I technically was, but she said, I bet you got another business outside of your four dental practices right now. And that's when I just started a company called Call Tracker ROI, which is a marketing tracking company. And I was like, dang, guilty. How does she know? A sorcery. Sorcery. It was like looking in the crystal ball. I was like, holy, what? Uh, and I was like, yeah, you got me. She goes, see, I know what you're going to do and what you're not going to do over the long run. So I, I had this idea that even though my passion was to be at the chair and interact with my patients, my actions kept pulling me further and further away from the chair and thus mm -hmm. the conflict. So it really was a kind of a, I had to have a come to Jesus meeting with myself on who am I? Right. And, and right. Where, how, what am I built to do? What's, what's going to, what am I going to be able to do for the long run? And so, you know, I had to make some changes accordingly, but changes that ultimately made me happier and more productive overall. That's crazy. So this assessment and she was able to say, through these numbers, through what you just did, I can tell you it's predictive almost like who you are, what you're designed to do, what you're going to do, what you're probably going to try at some points, but probably not do as well at because that's not what you're designed to do. Yeah. And, you know, it measures four different modes of action. One's called your fact finder mode, which is how you deal with information. Okay. And, and how much information really do you need to justify your why, meaning justify a decision. Uh, some people, they get the two most important points and they're good. And you give them any more information and their eyes glaze over and you've lost them, right? right. So that's somebody on the, the smaller number end of that scale, like a one, two, or three. Other people need to, the nth level of detail and they will continually research it and look up stuff and ask more questions until they get enough data and detail to satisfy and justify their why. 
to make their decision. And those in the middle are just more accommodating. It's more situational. You know, sometimes I'm like that. Sometimes I'm like this. It just depends, so to speak. Uh, it measures things, what we call follow through, which is how you deal with structure and orientation. It's about how do you get stuff done? Uh, some people are have more energy to multitask, for instance, uh, meaning uh, they have a lot of energy to constantly shift their focus from one thing to the next. So it looks like they're juggling a lot of balls at one time. There's no way to really truly do two things at one time, but you're just shifting your focus from one to the right. other quickly, right? But that burns a lot of your mental energy. So these people have a lot more and they're more instinctively built to handle that and do well with it versus other people on the end of that spectrum tend to want to start a task, scratch that thing off their list, then move on to the next one, then move on to the next one. And so by juggling multiple things, again, doesn't mean they don't know how to do it. doesn't mean they don't want to do it because their job demands it. If they're not built to do it. That's going to drain the gas tank fairly quickly. Okay. So it's just, again, it's not sustainable. Right. Of course, those in the middle, uh, you know, don't want to fight the plan. Don't want to create the plan or structure. They just want to maintain the plan and structure, like tell them the rules, they'll follow the rules kind of thing. Uh, you've got your quick start mode, which is how you deal with risk and uncertainty. And it's not really about you being a risky person per se. It's just really about how quickly do you adapt to change? And those people on the smaller end of the scale, uh, the one, two or threes, it's really more about, it's not that they can't change. It's just that their strength is maintaining the status quo right? and holding on to what they know. Okay. And right. minimizing risk, uh, so to speak. Um, and they can change, but they change at such a slower rate. It takes them so much more time that it looks like they're not changing. It's kind of like the, the tortoise and the hare is what I can think of as far as that goes. They're still going to cross the finish line, right? It's just a matter of when. Right. Those on the other end, which I tend to be is my strongest number, the quick start mode is, you know, we'll change in a second. <laughs> you know, if the SHIT hits the fan, that's usually the person you want in front of it. Okay. Because they're going to change and adapt like that. Okay. And, and innovate and think of outside the box ideas and, and whatnot. And of course, again, everybody in the middle is situational. And the last one is your implementer mode, which sounds like getting stuff done. But that getting stuff done is really your follow through implementer in this sense is more like the noun, like implements or tools. So it's more like, are you an abstract thinker? So you can picture the concept or are you a concrete thinker? Meaning I got, I don't know. What's a pen. I don't know. I, until I put my hand on it and touch right. it, feel it. Oh yeah. Okay. Now I got it kind of thing. And, and it really is impressive to see that these little things like describe the car we are. Uh, it's been statistically proven to be re valid and reliable. So it measures what it says it measures. And it's set by the time you're age seven and doesn't change your entire life. Kind of crazy. Yeah. A lot of our subconscious bias is developed by the age of seven. So that probably has a lot to do with it, right? It does. Yeah. And what's crazy is even things like uh, identical twins, identical in every way, have different Colby's. Whoa. Wow. That's uh, wow. So do you knowing what you know, because I know, you know, we, we both have set some of the similar, but uh, different certifications. Mm -hmm. Do you find yourself meeting people and sort of doing an assessment and figuring out what they are? Oh yeah. I mean, usually I can see a couple of actions uh, in that moment and, you know, fairly confident that, that I know what's going on. So for instance, I was working with one of my coaching clients and he had shared with me one of his Colby scores that he had taken years ago as an associate. And I saw that score and I'm like, okay. And then I go to his office to do an on-site training and for my influence and persuasion stuff for him and his team. And he had totally got it backwards. He thought like I was going to hang out the whole day there and watch him and his whole team treat patients. He's like, so I'm sitting there the night before. And I'm like, so you're ready for tomorrow? He's like, yeah, I got a whole day of patients lined up. We're ready to go. Excited to hear your thoughts. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> 
you know what, for tomorrow I'm talking to you and the team all day. No patience about this other stuff, right? He's like, wait, what? Oh, I missed the ball on that. Uh-oh, I'll take care of it. And by the morning, you know, they uh, they started at 7 a.m. the next morning, but we, we moved our meeting back to 9 a.m. from 8 a.m. And by 9, he had found a new venue. He had rescheduled all the patients. The team had come together. They had the food figured out. Boom, I was ready to give the presentation. So after that event, I was like, buddy, I'm going to tell you right now, this is not your Colby. <laughs> I don't know what you did, but this is not you. And sometimes what happens is like any assessment test, if you don't take it properly, meaning if you're not honest with yourself, okay, in that case, he took the test thinking, how does this lead dentist, the one I'm working for now, how would he want me to answer these questions? Hmm. That's how he answered the questions. So adapted, kind of like adapted into a certain context. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't really him. So I could tell by the action that it wasn't him. Okay. And so he retakes the test and lo and behold, guess what? Totally different and more like what I thought, not the fact finder, somebody who can't adapt and change in the moment. I'm like, that makes more sense. Okay. So yeah, I can definitely see when I see people do things to me, it's telling. That's awesome. And so then you said too, that you're certified in a way to influence. So put that. oh, Oh, and then by the way, can your Colby score change? Like if you're answering it, can that change over time? Like, do you, do you say, hey, t- retake this in five years or whatever that is? No. So that's why it's been st- proven to be valid um, and reliable. So if, if you answer the questions, if you're truly free to be you, so not what your husband thinks, not what your wife thinks, not what your boss thinks, you, not you as a, as a spouse, not you as a dentist, not you as a hygienist, you, right? If you're truly free to be you, what would you most likely do in this scenario and least likely do in this scenario? If you answered that honestly, then that it, it doesn't change your entire life. Okay. Yeah, you that should, is so cool. And that's why they've done it. They've had people take it 10, 20 years later and to get the same result. Right. That's so cool. Um, so that's the cool thing. And that's what I really liked about it. It was because, you know, in my opinion, like the, the IQ test and some of the personality tests, they measured a moving target. So it told me something about that person today, but because life happens, that can change tomorrow. So I do need to retake it, have them retake it every a couple of years, just so I know who I'm working with again today. Whereas now I had something for me that was like, doesn't change. I was like, oh, okay. Now I got something predictive. That's powerful. That is powerful. Just like the influence and persuasion stuff as well. You know, I remember selling my two best dental offices uh, and selling those off to buy back my time and took over my two worst ones and began a journey to try to clean up the messes I had created. (laughs) And uh, I had all these problems going on in the practice and didn't really, couldn't put my finger on what they were or why, really the root cause behind them. And the brain's kind of funny. If it doesn't understand why or the root cause, then it does two powerful things about that problem. It ignores it, number one, or it procrastinates on it. <laughs> what problem? Or I got, I know it's a problem, but I'll get to it at some point kind of thing is what the brain does when it doesn't feel like it has those capabilities or understand really what's behind it. So I heard, I was at a lecture one time and heard Dr. Robert Cialdini speak about his six principles of influence and persuasion that he wrote a book on 36 years ago and had done his behavioral science research on. And is now known to be the the expert in this area uh, since. And I thought my light bulb kind of went off like, wow, not only were those powerful, but one of those in particular was the root cause behind the majority of the problems in my practices. Okay. Why my patients weren't scheduling for treatment. Why am I, they weren't uh, coming back for, for other treatment like recall, why they weren't referring, why they weren't paying their bill on time. Why my team, why I kept having to micromanage my team and tell them to do stuff instead of doing stuff. Right. So 
when the cat was away, the mice would play. So suddenly it all became very clear as to what was behind that and what I was doing wrong as a result. So, you know, like kind of with Kathy, once I see an expert like that, I'm like, a sponge. I got to go to the master. <laughs> you know, that's what they usually say. When the student is ready, the master will appear. And, you know, when I find these people in my life, I'm like, holy crap. Yeah, I got to go learn everything. And so, yeah, I was very fortunate to train with Dr. Cialdini and learn what the science behind the stuff is. And really that we're using these principles, whether we realize it or not, consciously for them to make the majority of our decisions and take the majority of our actions. Um, and, and it's kind of like watching the Matrix for the first time when Neo wakes up uh, in the in the new in the actual world, not the world that was pulled over his eyes, and it's kind of like once you see it and you and you know these principles, I see it everywhere. I can't right. right. Everyone is trying to influence and persuade us down a path, either for our benefit, either for their benefit, or ideally, to use it in an ethical way for both of our benefits. Wow! So you take that, you take the Colby, and then you also, I mean, are, are taking this to practices. It sounds like you're coaching. You're bringing this, these concepts. I know also that you speak online to about these principles and how to take them and apply them right away so people can utilize these on Monday morning. Yeah. And then you also have software that helps to kind of, and that's why I was like, I have to get you on the dental handoff to talk about all this. And I, you know, I, you, you're such a wealth of information behind the human psyche, why people are doing what they're not doing, what they're taking action on. What is the, based on what you know, if you were to choose like your top three, top three things that dentists could recognize and say, here's the principles that I need to, and I know that you have classes on this. I, I can't wait to see the one that's on Brian Laskin's The Upgrade Day. Yeah. Get register for that one. So you guys have to go watch that. Chris is a phenomenal speaker. But what are what are top three things that you could say to a dentist and say, okay, these are things that you need to change right away or, or consider Definitely. right away? I'd say probably the first thing is, is that not only what we say to people is important, but from a behavioral science standpoint, the order in which we say things is even more important. Okay. Uh, and so what I would like you to do is, is to stop telling people things like you need a crown. So just giving them one option, so to speak, and presenting it that way. You need this appointment. How about Tuesday at four, Wednesday at eight, right? So just presenting things as one at a time kind of thing, one option. And instead get back into presenting them a choice. Okay. Simple choice, this or that, which would you prefer? Do nothing, but here's what's going to happen. You're going to end up needing a root canal built up in a crown, and it's going to cost you 3600 bucks. Or we can get to it today and do this crown for a whole heck of a lot less. Which would you prefer? This or that? And whatever you would like the person to say yes to should always be that. Okay, This wakes the braid up for that. It always puts more emphasis, whatever that is, positive or negative, on that. And that's what resonates. And that's what sticks. Okay. So would you like an appointment this week or next week, morning or afternoon is another example, right? So you can always present things as two options for people. Number one. Okay. Always two options. So I think that's number one. If it, the better you get at that and presenting things as this or that automatically, the more yeses you're going to see to whatever you're asking for. And again, we want that to be key from the team standpoint. You know, I would really prefer that, you know, one of the principles uh, is called authority, which means we look to credible, trustworthy experts to tell us what we should do. Right. Uh, why? Because we don't have time to be an expert in everything. OK, so we look to true, credible, trustworthy people to say, all right, you know this better than I do. OK, great. I'll do this. So like if a plumber comes to my house and says, hey, you need a new toilet. OK, I don't know anything about toilets, so I guess I'm buying a new toilet. 
because I kind of needed the thing to work, right? So we lean on these people with expertise, but that we can trust to guide us, okay, and tell us what to do. So what I'd like to do, though, study showed that the more experts tell us we need to do something, the more likely we are to say yes. Now we got a panel of experts telling us that I need this. Mm. Oof, you know, I'm even more likely to do it. So we already have the doctor as an authority in every dental practice because we have this great little cheat sheet, uh, an authority trigger, as we call it, called doctor, just the title itself, imbue someone automatically with more authority in a person's mind that's not a doctor, okay? So they're going to take a doctor's opinion and, and put more weight on it than a non-doctor's opinion because of okay. that title. Because we know, you know, you just didn't stay to the Holiday Inn Express last night to get that title. You didn't take an right. online weekend course, right? We had right. to do some stuff, didn't we? <laughs> okay. It wasn't easy. So people imbue power, if you will, and authority with that title. The challenge is, how do they look at our team, Right. And, you know, I know how they look at our team when they say things like, hey, where's that nurse? Where's that lady that cleans my teeth? Okay. They don't mean to be rude in that aspect, meaning the patients. They just don't know what your training and credentials are. They don't see you guys as the authorities that you really are. Okay. Oral health care experts, so to speak. And so what I prefer is a couple things. They need to know that you're an expert, but you can't tell them you're the expert. Because what happens when you, when you tell somebody how good you are, Right. Oh, I've done this. I've done this. I've done that. I've done that. Like, yeah. I mean, it never comes off well. It always comes off bragging or egotistical, or they're always like, well, somebody's full of themselves (laughs) kind of thing. Yeah. Right. But what we can do, our shortcut here is we can let other people, other items, other things present us as an authority to those patients, like your training, your certificates, any awards or testimonials people have given you, like seeing that on the walls of your operatory, let's say before, as the patient's sitting in the chair, before you come in. Or they get exposed to that information about you, reading your bio online or before they even come back to sit in your chair. Automatically, that thing can brag about you. It can say all the things you want to say about your years in healthcare, uh, your, your CE that you do, whatever that is. And that automatically, that person's going to go, wow, they're not just a technician because that's what they're thinking. Hey, the doctor tells me I'll do it, but you're just a technician. doesn't mean they don't like you. Right. But I want them to like us. Right. And also as a friend, but also see that we're a friend that's an expert that knows what they're talking about. Right. But now when you make recommendations as an expert and the doctor comes in and backs those recommendations up, now we got two experts telling us we, we need this. Okay. Automatically, you're going to get more compliance and more people are going to say yes. Agreed. Yes. You know, your title there, I love it. The dental handoff is another great example. So, you know, when a patient's sitting in the operatory or in the reception area, and if the hygienist or an assistant, comes out to meet them for the first time and they're introducing themselves, they're bungling an opportunity there, right? Instead, they need to hand off. Somebody at the front should come around and endorse that person and introduce the person they're about to meet and then hand them off. Automatically, studies show that that person's going to, uh, whatever that they say to that patient is going to be taken more heavily, okay? more It's going to be more important in that mindset. And they're more likely to, to follow through with those instructions as a result, just by a simple introduction and endorsement. And everybody in the chain should be able to be endorsed and introduced along the sequence. Agreed. Yeah, handoff is absolutely key. And, you know, you know in our, my persuasion courses, I go through all the studies that back that up. But just trust me, it's the doctors get a big benefit from doing that, being endorsed and introduced prior. But the team, it is an astronomical increase for you guys that you got to follow. Okay. You absolutely had to follow. And I'd say the last little bit I can give you is this, you know, again, not only is what we say important and the order in which we say things are important, but here, this kind of hits at home, you know, nature likes to take the path of least resistance. Okay. And that's a a fundamental fact. And we are part of nature, right? Uh, Even though we're humans. So what I mean by that is, you know, 
when we present treatment to patients, we tend to present it in increasing order. What I call them taking them up the stairs. Well, you can do nothing. You can do this partial. You can do this bridge. You can do this implant. Okay. Well, going upstairs requires more energy. Okay. Than going downstairs. People prefer to go down, not to go up. So what I prefer is before you talk about treatment to anyone, flip it. Start with your biggest, best option in your presentation first, and then go down in any other option from there. So if you think they could use a filling or like a buildup or a crown is a viable option for them, I'd present the crown first and then the buildup. Okay. So start with the crown high, then go down from there. If uh, I felt like they needed an implant, okay, then in this case, I'd start with the implant, then go down the bridge, then finish with the partial, so to speak. Okay. So always start high and go low and automatically by being aware of the order in which you're doing it and then being cognizant about doing it the right order, automatically you're going to get more compliance, more people say yes. So it's about if you put all this together, you're talking about the stair step, talking at first, talking at first. So then would you, when you're saying this or that, how would you apply that to what you just said? You could do implant this, 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 this. How would you, how would that sound if someone presented that? Yeah. So that's why we said uh, it's do nothing. Right. And how much, and I said, it's going to end up being a root canal built up in a crown and it's going to cost you 3,600 bucks. So that's our deal. Even though do nothing sounds like it's free, there's a cost of doing nothing. But notice that I relayed that cost to the patient. Okay. And treatment, additional treatment is going to be needed. The root canal built up in a crown. Maybe you throw some value statements, a consequence in there. Hey, it's going to take multiple visits. You're probably going to be paying because of the infection. And I put a number in it, a cost anchor if there, if you will. And it's going to run you 3600 bucks. So you could do that or you could do this crown. What do you want to do? Got it. Okay. So yes, we're still doing this or that, but the, the higher thing is coming first. So thank you. I, I know that um, putting it in sequence kind of helps us string it all together. That's fascinating. So this is what you are, this is what you go out and you consult about and you teach about and you bring the treatment options and how to present that and how to maximize that, that human influence because we're all in it for the same reason. I think to help that and serve that patient. So when we are communicating better and able to help that patient better understand the problem, the consequence and the solution in the right order and saying, yeah, you could do nothing. It's only going to get more expensive <laughs> right from here. Exactly. And when they understand that, then they have that autonomy to make that decision to move forward. Yeah. The key is they got to have a choice, right? So I call it, you know, we're bowling together. Okay. But as the dental expert, we got to pick the lane we're bowling on. You know, I can't bowl on this lane and have my patient bowling two lanes down. That's not going to work. And as the oral health care expert, I got to set the pins up, meaning I know what their treatment is. I know what the plan's going to be. Okay. I see the problem. I know the solution. But at the same time, I have to give that person choices along the way. They have to feel in control of their destiny. Right. So even though I've chosen the lane, I've chosen the pins. Okay. I'm going to influence them in the sense of by giving them choices and say, I got to let them choose the kind of ball they want to bowl with. What size are the holes? What's the weight of the ball? You got small, medium, or large holes. You want to bowl it right-handed? You want to bowl it left-handed? You want to bowl it granny style? Go for it. <laughs> Lane the gut, the things yeah. like better protectors. Well, up. <laughs> guards up. We could do that too. Again, <laughs> but the more choices I give them now, right? The more committed they are, the more likely they are to bowl. So from an influence standpoint, I say that I love old uh, adages about human behavior because they're, they ring so true. And, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink so to speak. So again, we're not forcing people to do anything. We're not manipulating them. We're not coercing them because they have a choice in the matter. 
Okay. So we can lead the horse to water. And again, it's up to them to drink. But I can tell you, if we do it right, we can lead the horse to water, but I can influence them to want to drink. Mm. Change our, the, our dental needs and that patient's dental need into a want in the patient's mindset. And usually when they want to drink, they do. Mm, powerful. I could talk to you for days. I think we both know that. <laughs> it's just so, so, you're just so knowledgeable in this. Chris, um, I know that you're, you offer different services, different, you're on many platforms that people can follow you. How do people get in touch with you? Yeah, you know, probably the easiest way uh, to reach out to me is to email me uh, at chris uh, at drphelpshelps.com. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, early on in my career, patients kept calling me Dr. Phillips instead of Dr. Phelps. And, uh, you know, it was kind of frustrating, of course, but uh, to correct them all the time. So I was trying to think, well, how do I get them to understand my name? And then it dawned on me one day, wait a minute, my last name is just the word helps with a P in front of it. So that's how I started saying, you know, doc, Dr. Phelps helps. And that just became my tagline. And I thought, well, that works out perfectly. <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah. And so now my patients could remember my name and then I realized that helps others. It sticks with them as well. So just Chris at drphelpshelps.com is probably the easiest way. And as you said, I've got a, a myriad of ways I can, I can help people with my different companies and coachings, uh, implant trainings, ceramic implant trainings, good, gore, good gosh, you name it. So. Yeah. I want to bring you back so you can talk more about the technology and the, how you're bridging that communication between team and patient and about that consumerism experience too, and how we're, how we're influencing even before the patient walks in the door. Definitely. I, I, it's, a, it's a brilliant conversation to have. So thank you so much for being here with us today. I, I just want to re-listen to this to, to hear everything that you said again. And I'm going to go through my Colby analysis that you sent to me and be like, you know, what, what am I? What does this mean for my life? <laughs> You're my sensei. <laughs> well, it's like I said, you know, Kathy's uh, mantra, and let's finish it with this, was always, uh, she said this. Once you know what kind of car you are, stop trying to improve your weaknesses, like meaning things you're doing that don't fit that strength, if you can have control over that, okay? Mm -hmm. Instead, focus on your strengths and start doing more stuff within your strengths and delegate or outsource or whatever you need to do the things that are not your strengths. If you do that, you, I can promise you, you'll be happier, you'll be more productive, and you'll live a much longer life. Absolutely right. And you're proving to yourself that you can do it, you know, because I think when we operate in our weaknesses and try to improve on that, I mean, it's important to acknowledge those, right? To say, yeah, they, there they are. But then to focus on those strengths so you can feel like you have those wins and that you can move forward in the strengths of who you are. And like you said, delegate those other things to other folks who, who that is their strength. And so together you become a stronger team. You are happier. Your mindset is more positive and you have that can do and you're proving to yourself that you can do all the time. Definitely. Well, as we said, it's, it's not work when you're working in your strengths. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Uh, there's very little brain activity. So basically no gas is coming out of the tank. Therefore you can just keep doing it and doing it and doing it because it doesn't drain you uh, like the other stuff. So, you know, Life's too short to be drained. Exactly. Well, you all, thank you, Dr. Phelps. Thank you so much for being here today with us. Listeners, followers, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, Dr. Phelps's information will be in our show notes. And thank you again for, um, to, for your listening, your support. If you don't mind, please do me a favor and go on to Apple. Give us a five-star rating, five-star rating, only five-star rating because Apple is what 
loves the AI to broadcast your favorability. So thank you so much for listening. Hope everyone's rocking out their day. We'll see you soon. Take care.